today on Ag News Daily. We do see the yields come out. You know, you kind of, you know, they will let you know a little bit, you know, is it from, you know, April, right, where you would think it looked pretty good. But what about all this corn that, you know, got planted in, in June? Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is Madison Harmkamp here on the Ag News Daily podcast for another Market Monday episode But first, I am joined with Delaney Howell. And Delaney, the state fair is over. Yes. And how are you doing? I am very happy, Madison. I am very happy. I am maybe a little rounder than I was before the state fair. (laughs) But uh, mostly just glad that those two weeks are over. They're fun two weeks, but they're a long two weeks. Yes, definitely. I think I was there almost every day for Mm. at least like... An hour, maybe, at the least. Yeah. Yeah, I'm ready for that to be over. But uh, there is other things going on this week. The crop tour, Farm Journal's crop tour, is going on in both the western and eastern leg. And before I get to that news, I also wanted to just share, DTN is doing a digital yield tour this year nationally, looking at similar things with Grow Intelligence to forecast corn and soybean yields as well. I think it's maybe a little bit of a checking process to make sure that the stuff that folks are seeing in the fields is is at least somewhat relatively reflective of what's going on from a, a satellite perspective. So, so far we've seen Grow Intelligence forecasting a national corn yield of 163 bushels per acre and a soybean yield of 44 bushels per acre, which is both significantly lower than what USDA put out in their latest WASDE report. It seems that folks on the ground in South Dakota, for those people really paying attention to the western leg, which is, I mean, the eastern leg matters, but I think the western leg is really where more of the corn and soybean production is located, so I, I personally pay a little more attention to that side. It says, it sounds like South Dakota was a very sobering uh, stop that they had. And, and I'm using that quote directly from Farm Journal's article that they put out today, looking at and sharing what they saw on day one of the Pro Farmer Tour. It looks like, Madison, they are seeing of their six stops on day one in South Dakota, 149 bushels per acre for their average corn yield, which is a pretty significantly lower number. And it's it's very varied. So some people said in some parts of South Dakota, they saw as low as 112 bushels per acre. Um, So 149 is what they're coming up with on average too. But looking at some of these pictures, they are just really not looking good on that Western leg. Yeah. And I think We've kind of seen this coming with all the flooding and weather issues that we had, especially this spring and even continuing through this growing season. Um, So hopefully we can see that change in the coming years. Yes. So this year is going to be, it sounds like, really a a wait and see kind of a year, Mm -hmm. but at least up in the Dakotas, it sounds like USDA still hasn't quite adjusted their yields enough, which... You know, USDA does what they want anyways at the end of the yeah. day, but that is, what yes. I, that is what I've been watching here over the past <laughs> two days, really, as folks have been gotten out there. But Madison, what have you been watching? Um, well, one thing that I have been watching, the USMCA debate, which has been going on for 
a long time now, and it doesn't seem like it's coming to a close quite yet, but now they are coming out with um, the climate change issue, trying to bring that into the ratification process and all of that. And really, they're pointing fingers at Trump's lack of action to address climate change and his withdrawal from the Paris Climate Accord in 2017. Um, I know House Democrats are really trying to have, I think, have climate change not really stated in that, but more of having that process having a process to combat it, so to speak. Um, so this is definitely something we'll be watch, continuing to watch, see if this will be ratified, hopefully this year, so we don't have to worry about it during the election year. Yeah. But, yeah, still, still a big debate. So it, is it they are trying to essentially tie two things together and say, hey, look, yeah. if you want USMCA passed, we also have to address climate change as part of like maybe a, a compromise or a token deal. Yeah. Yeah. Some okay. Democrats are kind of seeing there's more of a failure that they aren't addressing it within the agreement um, between, you know, Canada, US and Mexico. But I don't know. I see it. It's more of a trade agreement. It's not really... I don't think it I don't think climate change needs to be addressed, but we'll see how it kind of plays out. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. That makes sense. So mm-hmm. maybe a behind closed doors kind of a negotiation. Yes. Yeah, definitely okay. is. Well, as we reported on Friday, it seems like there was some negotiations going on behind closed doors with the EPA and President Trump as he did approve 31 exemptions for oil refiners from those ethanol blending requirements which we talked about on Friday. And um, interesting quote here from Senator Chuck Grassley on Friday. He was actually on Iowa Public Television's Iowa Press show. He was quoted as saying, they screwed us. And he didn't, those were his exact words. Uh, if, if any of you have ever watched Senator Grassley, he's not really a very emotional or his face is not very telling. He doesn't use a lot of expression when he's talking. He just said it very plainly, very matter-of-factly that they screwed us. Um, However, he did not directly pin any blame on President Trump himself, but even, even some Democratic folks are saying that the exemptions are directly hurting Iowa farmers and other corn based states and producers who rely on this demand for corn-based ethanol. So that seems like President Trump could get a little bit of backlash on that. Um, But uh, top trade advisor Peter Navarro and other folks have come out and said, you know, President Trump is still very pro-farmer. Peter Navarro was on a CNN interview this weekend and was talking more specifically about the, the trade negotiations, but he still said, quote, President Trump has the backs of farmers. So it's going to be a very interesting election cycle indeed. And I think uh, Friday's announcements with the with the RFS waivers and small refiner waivers, excuse me, uh, could be interesting nonetheless with some, not maybe not sit so well with some farmers who were pro-President Trump before. Yeah, it will be interesting to kind of see how this all plays out, especially after those um, waivers were signed. And I, yeah, I was also surprised, though, when with that quote coming out with 
from Senator Grassley because you don't see that a lot. He's very uh Yes. He's very stoic. Or, Maybe that's yeah. the word I was looking for. He's he's good at hiding emotion. Yes. Or maybe he doesn't feel emotion. I don't know. Uh, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, Madison, what else did you have for news today? Well, I have a kind of two things that com- are combined almost. So a farm in Argentina that exports millions of bushels of corn and soybeans to the United States are... United States are currently facing allegations of organic fraud. And we saw this happen not with Argentina, but within the United States. Oh, I don't know how, maybe two or three years ago, um, where labeling really, well, and even today where labeling is a huge topic with produce and how they are, how to define organic, basically. Um, but this farm from Argentina did say that they were not using specific fertilizers and pesticides on crops, but they were still being labeled as organic and sold to customers, including the largest U.S. producers of organic chicken. So this is something we're definitely going to be watching. Um, but even to go along with that, the leader that of the largest U.S. organic fraud was sentenced to 10 years in prison last Friday um, because he did cheat thousands of customers into buying products that they didn't actually want. They wanted that organic product, but they were falsely labeled. And it's really, I don't know how to feel about it, but it's kind of crazy how this is all playing out. And that, that did happen in 2010 and 2017. And yeah, it's, it will definitely be watching it. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and I mean, I think it's, I I don't, I don't know that much about organic farming from the livestock side. I know when it's labeled as organic, it has to be fed something that's 100% Mm -hmm. organic, but I guess I don't know how much of a watchdog or, or of a person that's monitoring that on each operation there really is, or if it's just the farmer's word and saying, yes, Mm -hmm. we fed them a hundred percent organic feed. We didn't use a bunch of medications or medicated feeds, et cetera, et cetera. So. Yeah. And I know the USDA, um, they have the national organic program and they're kind of trying to crack down on that. Um, especially with all these labeling frauds really that are coming, really starting to kind of come to surface. And because there is always that extra cost that you pay when you're buying organic, an organic product, Mm -hmm. um, because they do, they don't use, you know, quite as many as antibiotics or fertilizers, pesticides, et cetera, to help with combating, obviously all of that. And, um, I kind of lost my train of thought, but (laughs) yeah, I, I don't know. That's okay. I don't know how to feel about it. That's okay. (laughs) I don't know either. Sometimes I lose my train of thought all the time. Yeah. But it's, it's the week after state fair. We, we got to catch a break. (laughs) Yes. Yes, we do. Madison, that is all the news I have for today. Do you have anything else? I do not. 
Well, all right, let's take a look and rip off these commodity markets for today. They are not pretty. They have not responded to the Pro Farmer Tour news yet. Maybe they will later this week. We are chatting with Craig Turner here in just a moment about today's markets. So let's see where they closed for today. In the September corn contract lost six cents today to close at 365 even. The December cut six and a quarter cent to end at 374 and a half. In the soybean pits, big losses here today with the September contract cutting 13 and a quarter cent to end at 8.54 even. November new crop beans cut 13 and a quarter cent as well to close at 8.66 and a half. In the Chicago wheat pits, the September contract ended five and a quarter cent lower on the day to end at 4.65 even. The December contract closed five cents lower to end the day at 4.72 and a half. Hopping over into the livestock pits, Green across the screen. The October live cattle contract gained 17 and a half cents to end at 98.22 and a half. The December put on just 20 cents to close at 103.72. In the feeder cattle pits, the September contract put on 45 cents to close at 132.82 and a half. The October up 32 and a half cents to close at 133.17 and a half. And in the lean hog pits, October contract two dollars and two cents high articles at sixty four oh two. The December up two dollars and seven cents to close at sixty two eighty five. Rounding out our markets with the dairy class three milk futures, the August contract was unchanged at seventeen sixty two. The September cut eight cents at seventeen seventy seven. Without further ado, let's turn it over to my conversation with Craig Turner of Daniel's Trading. Well, for today's Market Monday, folks, as promised, I am chatting with Craig Turner of Daniel's Trading and also the Turner's Take newsletter and podcast. Craig, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, we always appreciate your insight, Craig. Tell me a little bit about what's going on with the Pro Farmer Tour. How closely are you watching it today? And more importantly, how closely is the market going to be watching it this week? Yeah, it is. Uh, it, it's always a. Uh, it's always of note when they have this tour. I think this year a little bit more than normal. Um, you know, the markets were down overnight. A lot to do with just the rains that came in through the weekend. A lot of spots that needed rain in the Midwest got it, and then uh, so we were down five or six anyways. And then the we started seeing more of the tour. Um, you know, as expected, Nebraska looks pretty good. Um, and the, the farmers were were watching that, and the traders and the whole traders watching that. But South Dakota is having issues, and that you know is expected. It's really interesting to see what's going on in Ohio, um, and then they're also kind of getting into the eastern part of Indiana. So we're watching it. You know, it's interesting. You know, we're basically trying to see, you know, how how bad is the eastern corn belt? Because you know, up in the you know up in Nebraska and the Western Corn Belt is expected that they're going to have some pretty good yields and maybe even down south too. But if, uh, if the USDA did overstate the crop, which is what a lot of bulls think, it's probably going to show up in that Eastern Corn Belt of Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, Illinois. And, uh, you know, today we're hearing about Ohio. Tomorrow we'll hear more about Indiana. And Wednesday we'll probably hear more about Iowa and, uh, and Illinois. And what do you think, what's the market looking for? What are the bulls looking for in this market to see as far as yield goes in the eastern leg? Yeah, so here's the thing. Like, the, the way Pro Farmer works, too, is, like, you know, like, for example, today, 
there in Ohio and they saw a field that was still, they were supposed to go to, but was still pollinating, right? So they skip it. And, you know, how do they really account for that? And it's kind of, we're kind of unsure in how they're going to, how they're going to handle that. So when we do see the yields come out, you know, you kind of, you know, they will let you know a little bit, you know, is it from, you know, April, right, where you would think it'd look pretty good. But what about all this corn that, you know, got planted in, in June? And, and how does that, and then how do you average out to it? Also, another thing to keep important, to keep in mind is what we're definitely thinking about is any yield estimations coming out are going to be probably best case scenario. I mean, in August, in terms of the daylight that you use for growing, you know, you lose about a little bit over an hour, uh, you know, from peak time, you know, through the end of August. And then it's about two hours loss of daylight when we're into September. And you just got to, you know, think to yourself, how good can this crop be? So, you know, it's going to be tough to estimate yields. Um, you are comparing it to years past um, and how much lower it's going to go. But I think the theme is going to be just potential and early development going to touch for the market to get a real handle on what the actual yield is. And also, you know, it's going to be, uh, it's not like uh, you know, the USDA reports when they take samples where it's so widespread. So it'll give traders an idea. The, the thing is, though, even if they start saying, you know, yields in Ohio are 20 or 30 bushels per acre lower than normal, we're going to have some pressure on the corn market anyways, regardless, just because of delivery. You know, basis contracts need to be priced. Um, we're also going to, you know, anyone who has storage, old crop storage, that's contracted, you know, basically, you know, by the end of August, they have to roll it or sell it. And there's a lot out there. There's over 2 billion bushels of old crop out there. So I think instead of seeing the traditional kind of bottom crash that we've seen past couple of years in August, the uncertainty of the pro farmer tour may help us be um, a little bit more range bound as we head into delivery. And if there is going to be a rally from it, I wouldn't be surprised if we got support now, but you know, the rally really coming in September. Okay. And so usually we're putting in a harvest or a, we're putting in a low somewhere here within the next week or two. Do you expect us to still do that seasonally? Yeah. So the low is usually made right before first notice day. You know, the, I think August 30th is that Friday. So usually what you tend to see is August 29th, the day before first notice day, be the heaviest pressure. A lot of reasons is because, you know, those deliverable contracts, those basis contracts, any kind of forward contracting that may have been done, anything that had a price later um, or storage that needs to be rolled is usually tied to first notice day of September futures, which is August 30th, meaning guys usually have to make a decision before we get to August 30th. So in the past couple of years, when we've had large stocks, where we're 15% stock to usage or higher, which we're at, we're over 15% stock to usage, you tend to see the selling build right up until the last week of August. In years past, we haven't had a bullish catalyst at the end of August to kind of help stem the kind of the, the collapse, really, to make that seasonal low. I think with, the, with Pro Farmer, you know, coming out this week and the questions that will probably raise about yields, um, you know, while we may see a lower some pressure heading into the end of the month, it's probably not going to be as bad, you know, bad, you know, bad as it was in years past in terms of percentage-wise and how much we fell right into it. So, even if you're a bull, and we are bullish, we think the uh, from based on where prices are now, we do think the yields are going to be lower. And whether it's you know one, you know, in the low 160s, which I think uh, you know some of the recent satellite data has shown, and some of the estimates, even if we're there. 
you probably don't see the full extent of that rally and, you know, pro farm if it really turns out to be that way until September. And it's just the market mechanics of all this corn that needs to be priced or delivered or storage needs to be rolled in the next, over the next two weeks. Okay, gotcha. That makes sense. Uh, Craig, since we're talking about yield and maybe some possible scenarios for price action starting in about September, you do a lot of those scenarios in your newsletter. I like looking at them each week, breaking down if, if the yield is X, you can expect prices to be between here and here. Can you walk us through some of those expected scenarios that you're seeing on your end? Yeah, absolutely. So the thing is, you know, when we take a look at these, and I'm just you know, we'll say, okay, well, we have the, the USDA says 169, right? And then based on that, we're going to have carryout of a two, about 2 billion. And then, you know, what does that really mean in terms of, uh, you know, of prices? And if you have a 2 billion carryout, what the real important number is, what is the stock to usage? So that's about a 15% stock to usage. That usually means corn is in the mid to high threes. Like, you know, the spot month, We've got some pressure on it, like September right now. You could see a 350, 360 heading into that lull, you know, that very final days of August. Um, while the new crop months, like out July or or farther, could be still at four bucks. You know, when you've got a two billion carryout. The thing is, when you start saying like, okay, what if what if yields are really 164? Which I think you know is a possibility if uh, if this crop has issues and the uh, the yields in the Eastern Corn Belt really are as poor as we think we are, at least to what we're hearing here on the desk from what farmers are telling us. You know, then all of a sudden, we have projections of ending stocks of about $1.7 billion. Stocks usage is 12%, which is still adequate. You don't get tight until 10% stocks usage. But what it does mean is corn can now be in the high threes for old crop. And then for, for new crop, you can really you can be in the low fours, like that 420 area where you know, we saw you know, corn trade up to in the past couple of years. When things get tight, if we start talking about a, a 160 yield or lower, and I think some of the more aggressive satellite guys have said high 150s, and I'm sure you know anyone following the news have probably seen them. So if we're at a 159 yield, all of a sudden the ending stocks comes down below 1.5 billion. That means we're at 10 percent stock to usage, and that is when the front month that old crop can actually trade four bucks, and the new crop can trade above like 425 or 450, right? So those are the those are the scenarios that you can see. And the and it really has to do with at the end of the day we talk about production numbers and exports and that, but it's really the ending stocks and where they are that stock to use number. And when the market starts to see 10% stock to usage, that's when we start to see price rationing and the big rally because that's where we were of the summer when corn was at 450. There are some ideas out there that production might only be between 12 and 13 billion. At that case, we would need, um, you know, stocks would be low 10%, and we would have price rationing. So that's how that works, and those are the kind of yields we'll see. So if, if when we're looking at pro farmer and the estimates in September, if and we get to that September WASDE and the expectations are yields of like let's say 165, 164, 163, and we're at about a 1.7, 1.8 billion ending stocks. You know, maybe corn has potential to rally into the high threes. You know, from the front month. If we're talking 160 or lower, now corn has potential to rally into the fours across all months. Okay, Craig, let's uh, let's move on and talk a little bit about what's going on in the soybeans as well. I, I've seen some satellite reports that are saying 44 bushels per acre uh, for national yeah. yield forecasts. What does that do to our soybean story, especially since we keep talking about this? You know, one billion bushel yeah. carryover. 
Okay, so this would be really something. If you get a 44, like a 44 and a half yield, which I've seen too, and by the way, we have beginning stocks of 1 billion, you know, coming into here. It really ratchets down the the uh, the ending stocks because at some point if we have 44.5 billion and we're only having a production of 3.4 billion all of a sudden our ending stocks year over year go from about a billion to somewhere probably in between four and five hundred million stock to usage is about 10 or 11 percent like it's not you know by the market definition it isn't tight stocks where you have to come below 400 million but it's getting really close and then all of a sudden you know in price projections we're seeing you know the the front month soybeans, which are right around, I think, 870 right now. I haven't had a chance to look in a couple of minutes, but you know, all of a sudden we're in the low to mid nines, and the new crop at that point has a potential to get to to 10 bucks. When we're talking about a 44 yield and ending stocks at four, you know, 450, what uh, million? When I what I would say, you know, for soybeans, I get questions a lot: is what does it take for soybeans to get? above $10 across the board. And that usually, again, means 10% stock to usage or lower. We use about 4 billion bushels of soybeans. So we have to be underneath 400 million bushels. And once, if we should see yields of 43, like 43 and a half or 43, all of a sudden that happens. And that's when soybeans across all contracts and old crop and new crop can be above 10 bucks. So when we're seeing these estimates and we're watching Pro Farmer and seeing esti- and see what the USDA does next month, you know those are the kind of numbers that we look at. Just to give us an idea of what price ranges could be. Okay, and when you look uh, when you look immediately here today, soybeans cut 13 cents on the day. Was the discount today just because of the Pro Farmer tour or weather or what was going on in today's trading session? I think it was. We were down six or seven cents in the overnight, and that was the weather. I think what happened, you know, the South Dakota numbers for soybeans weren't as bad as people thought. Um, and Nebraska, which is really more of a corn country, had okay, you know, had pretty good. And everything's so irrigated over there. That was looking good. Um, you know, I'd have to take a look to see Ohio soybeans. Um, that's If we're down, it'll be interesting to see what that Pro farmer report says. Uh, exports were actually pretty good for beans too, um, but you know we had we did have the run up last week. We're gonna we were down 13 today, um, and I would say just the South Dakota beans look better than the South Dakota corn, and uh, I'm gonna probably have to take a look into uh, to what they said in uh, Ohio. I'm thinking, just not even looking at it, I'm gonna guess, uh, you know maybe beans didn't look as bad as corn does. And the thing is, corn is more sensitive, you know, to, uh, you know, to the weather. And there seems to be less, vari- you know, less variance in soybeans anyway. So that may have been a part of it. Okay. And Craig, I want to make sure we touch on the cattle markets. Last week they had quite the reaction to the Kansas Tyson fires. Were today's positive gains just a, a reaction to factoring that back out of the markets? Or is there something else that caused us to have a little green on the screen today? Yeah, you know, I think there is a sense in the market now that, I mean, if you look at December cattle, um, you know, we're 10, I mean, we're 8 to $10 from where we were, you know, just a couple of weeks ago. There is an, you know, there is a big incentive for packers to get as much cattle as possible. I mean, we've got beef, beef prices going higher on the cash side. 
and live cattle and feeder cattle going lower, you know, on the animal side. And there is going to be some pretty good margins, actually some very good margins. Plus, you know, a lot of the stories that we're seeing that are, that are coming out um, is, you know, businesses and the government, you know, and the community wants to get these things up and running as fast, you know, as fast as possible. Um, it's kind of seems like all hands are on deck. And then we're seeing a lot of the selling side, has been from the technical funds. I mean, they, there were some huge, I mean, just enormous moving averages and trend lines that were broken. And, you know, they're based on technicals. And once they see these things, the, the selling really piles on. Yet we've been holding these levels now for five days and, and actually even seeing some a little better pricing. So I think what's going on is the market is realizing we're at such a deep discount. While for August and October, it's going to be tough for those contracts to make um, – to make a big rally because Tyson, you know, it may take them six to eight weeks to, you know, between them and the other players in the industry to ramp, you know, ramp up capacity. But when you look at December and going out, you would think that um, sooner rather than later, there'd be a, a pretty big recovery in those cattle in, in those, uh, in those cattle products. And I think the outlook past probably six to eight weeks is a lot better for cattle than what it is right now. So, we're expecting uh, August and October to have a little bit of a rough go of it in the cattle, especially in the fats. But these onward, we're uh, we're pretty optimistic about a recovery in those in those positions. Okay, Craig. Before I let you go, how can folks interact with you on social media or get your newsletter? Yeah, absolutely. So the you can go to turnerstake.com. And you can sign up for the newsletter there. If you listen to any kind of podcasts, including uh, including yours, Ag News Daily, you can uh, you know also take a look for Turner's Take, and you can find my podcast there too. Awesome, Craig! Thanks so much for breaking down the markets today for us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'll come on anytime. Huge thanks to Craig there for chatting through the markets with us today. Um, but if you want to chat with us through the markets, through anything in ag, really, you can always find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Ag News Daily or at Global Ag Network. And if you want to catch up with uh, any podcast or any past Market Monday episode, you can find us at globalagnetwork.com slash agnewsdaily. All right, Madison, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. <laughs> <laughs>